going to be a little bit in and out of it. So I would like if you would stay on chapter 15. That way it's right there in front of you. And uh, you're able to work your way through it as we go through it together. As you can see, I brought my big Bible today. Because I've got a lot of scripture to read. And I want to keep track of it myself too. And I didn't feel like wasting paper. See, look at that. Didn't feel like wasting paper to print all that. Um, God knows I have enough Bibles. So... Alrighty, so we're going to be talking in 1 Samuel chapter 15, but before we get there, I'm going to give you some background. Um, this story is about King Saul, okay? Not Saul of the New Testament, who turned into Paul, who was an apostle, but Saul of the Old Testament, who was a king, the first king of Israel. What happened was Israel had judges by the command of God. God told them, I want you to have judges to rule over you, not the king, because I'm your king. That's what he said, and that sounds pretty good, and I would listen to that if I was uh, a citizen under that rule. God says, I'm your king, I would stick to that. But as judges came and went, and there were some good judges, there were some bad judges, um, same as any ruler or king, um, but God wanted judges. And as the judges came and went, the people got tired of the fact that they didn't have a king because they saw the other nations which God would allow them to conquer and they would be conquering other nations that had a king. Or other nations sometimes would, would conquer them or at least suppress them in some way and that nation would have a king. And they saw all these other nations had kings and they saw the way that they were ruled and the way that the people um, made decisions and the king made decisions and stuff like that. I, I, I'm honestly not 100% sure on all their reasonings, but seeing what was around them, they were convinced that that's what they needed, and they decided that they wanted a king. And they complained, and they complained, and they complained. And their last judge was Samuel. And Samuel was a prophet, but all the judges were also prophets, really, because God would use them, and they, they were God's servants. So Samuel was the last one, and Samuel had enough of it, and the people continued to complain, ask for a king, ask for a king, ask for a king. So at one point, Samuel went before God, and God said, all right, people can have a king. I said you should have judges, and I'll be the king, but the people want a king. If the king serves me and is righteous, and the people are righteous, then all will be fine. But if the king is wicked and does evil in the eyes of the Lord and blah, 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 then it's not going to be pretty, right? So because of Israel's complaining, um, God chose a king for them, and he selected Saul. Now, Saul was, according to the Bible, a handsome man. He stood a foot taller than anyone else, or a head taller, or whatever it was. And so he, he looked fit to be king, but he was from the tribe of Benjamin, which is one of the smallest tribes, if not the smallest. Um, and according to Saul, the way he says he's the least of the tribes, right? And his family was the least in the tribe of Benjamin, is what he says. So again, I'm not 100% sure on what all that means. I don't know where his family's standings were or, or, or what they looked like. But Saul had already was making excuses when Samuel said, you're going to be king. Saul said, well, but I'm the least. I'm, the, I'm from Benjamin. I'm from my father's household, and we're, we're the least. And Samuel said, that doesn't matter. God's chosen you. God had chosen Saul. And it's important that we remember that because we're going to get into this story and we need to remember that God chose Saul. 
So in this sermon, we're going to answer three, three questions, all right? I told, I, well, yeah. So the first one is just what? We're going to talk about a subject, okay? The what of the, of the chapter, okay? What the chapter's about. Then we're going to ask why. Why is the what true, okay? And then we're going to ask why is the why to the what true, okay? A greater why, okay? A further why, another step. I said that last week. I love asking why um, ever since I was five, I'm sure. And then why, why? I continue to do it today. And we're going to do it today together. So now I'm, I'm bringing you in with me. And um, so if you're taking notes or whatever, it's what, why, and the ultimate or greater why. All right. So let's start in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. We're going to go through all of chapter 15. So bear with me with all this scripture reading, but it's important. All right. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women and children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them to Telaim, or Telaim, maybe. 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, Go away, leave the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you along with them, for you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Hivilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. All right, so here's the deal. First big point, this is the what. God cares about the actions that we take. Okay, that's the what. That's, where we're, that's our starting point, and it's obvious from the passage. God cares about the actions that we take. First of all, the instructions were clear. The instructions, uh, according to Samuel, was do not spare them, put to death men and women and children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Everything that can be put to death, <laughs> put to death. He didn't say good or bad, obviously, right? It, the instructions were clear, and God asks this many times in Scripture, too. So it's not that this is an abnormal situation and Saul forgot. It's these were the instructions of the Lord, and God asked that all things be destroyed. <clears throat> now, the word destroy is actually an interesting word. Um, it means 
devoted or to put under the, under the ban. And what, what that means is um, those things that are totally destroyed belong totally to God. And you're saying, we don't want them, we don't need them. These are God's, and this victory is God's, and everything that we are destroying, that's in God's hands, right? And this punishment that God was having upon the Amalekites was not Israel's gain, but it was God's punishment upon the Amalekites for what they had done when the Israelites came out of Egypt. And Saul failed to do that. Saul failed to devote these things to God, and instead he chose to do and to allow the sparing of the, the, these parts, the good parts of this wicked nation. The, the good parts, right? That's the point. God said this is a wicked nation, and my anger burns against them, and they need to be punished in every way and destroyed. And it's not for Israel's gain, but it's for my glory. And Saul didn't like that. The disobedience, so not only were the instructions clear, but the disobedience was obviously intentional. It was selfish because he saved the good stuff, right? The good cattle, the good sheep. And, um, but not only was it selfish, but it was also weak because it says he allowed them. And if we read further, which we will, um, Saul says that the, the, I was afraid of the men. So I let them take the sheep and the, the good sheep and the good cattle. Saul is still stuck. You can still see the same character he had when he was called to be king. He's still weak, and he still is afraid of, of other people and what other people say or might say. It was selfish. It was weak. And he spared the king. Now, this sparing the king is an interesting thing. Why, why would he do that? Right Again, why? Why would he spare Agag? And I didn't find a solid reason, uh, it, except all of them are selfish reasons. Um, he may have spared the king because the, taking the king back to your country is like a trophy, right? Look who we've got. We've got the king. Uh, he may have spared the king because he respected him as another king, right? Saul's the king, so he respects... And, and I think that we see that in other scriptures as well, or, or at least like that mutual respect, even when you're supposed to kind of hate them. And so it could be that, but it doesn't really matter. Either way, it's Saul's selfishness, which is pure disobedience to what God had commanded him to do. Clear instructions, intentional disobedience, and God cares about the actions that we take. So we're going to continue on, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, again, verses 12 to 26. This is after Samuel was angry and cried out to the Lord all that night. Verse 12, early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? <laughs> what is this lowing of cattle that I hear? 
Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best sheep and cattle uh, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Verse 20, but I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Crazy stuff. First point out of this is that partial obedience is not obedience at all. I, I often end up going back to this in my thoughts um, and it, it may, in discussions with other people. Is that partial truth is really no truth at all, right? If, and, and if you put that in the perspective of, of God, like any partial amount of God, you can't part, get a partial part of God. So, so that's obviously not even the truth. The truth is God is infinite and eternal and great and beyond everything. And so any partial truth just, just isn't true at all. And it's the same thing here. Obedience to the 99th percentile is disobedience. There's no excuse for sin. Saul explains, I was afraid of the men. The men took the sheep and the cattle. Like, I didn't actually literally grab one of them. They grabbed them. But there's no excuse for sin. There's no reason to ever sin. Because Saul didn't necessarily, in all of his arguments, I mean, he did say, I, he did think he didn't sin. But at a point he said, well, I did, the men took. Right, but there's no excuse. I did, but I was afraid of the men. And there's no excuse for sin. Sin is sin, and Saul was in clear disobedience of what God has said. So now we're going to get to that first why. Why does God care about the actions that we take? Because God cares about the motives of our hearts. If you'll look in verse 22 and 23, we're going to sit on those for a little bit here. 
Sam, this is Samuel speaking. And he says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Now first I want to just touch on uh, this, uh, what is it? Rebellion is like the sin of divination. All right, that's a little weird. Uh, why, why grab rebellion? Well, I guess rebellion makes sense because it's just disobedience. Why, but why compare that to divination? Why grab that sin? And I'm not 100% sure exactly, but I will say that Saul, we learn in chapter 23, I think, or 28, where Saul goes and meets with the, um, yes, the, the necromancer or the medium or whatever you want to call it, communicator with the dead. He goes and meets with her, and it says in that passage that Saul had previously banned or exiled all mediums and sorceresses and sorcerers, and he had previously sent them away. And then in, in this later chapter, Saul goes and, and, and talks to one. He consults one of them, which is in clear disobedience to what God had commanded. But in, in I think it's in Leviticus it says that there ought not be, don't, don't go consulting with mediums and so forth. And Saul, being a good king he was, he had exiled them. And that was good. And so I think that may be a reason why it's in here. Because Saul had clearly recognized that divination is a bad thing. And he had exiled them. And he had made the right decision there. And so God here says, rebellion is the same sin. That same thing that you know is bad. Rebellion is the same thing. It's just like the sin of divination. And so he compares rebellion to divination and arrogance to the evil of idolatry. Idolatry is the one thing that God commands against throughout the entire Old Testament over and over and over again. And that's because idolatry is putting anything before God, really. Now, in this Old Testament format, it was usually putting an actual idol before God. Um, and Saul would have known clearly that's wrong. And clearly, God does not want anything before him. No idols. And so, Samuel, by God's command, grabs these two things and compares them to disobedience and to rebellion. Arrogance. So, what I want to hit on now is Samuel saying that sacrifices are to obey is better than sacrifice. This is the, the crux of the message here. Sacrifice implies loss. And that's what I want us to understand. The sacrifice implies you're losing something. You're sacrificing something. Like It makes sense in our own culture today. If you say, okay, well, I've got to sacrifice a few things. That means you've got to give up a few things that you wish you could hold on to, but you've got to give them up. You have to make a sacrifice, and I'm going to become lesser in order for this to happen. I'm going to submit to this person because I need to sacrifice. And even if you look in dictionary definitions, I put up Merriam-Webster, the definition or one of, some of the definitions, the ones that would best fit what we're talking about is destruction 
or surrender of something for the sake of something else. Something given up or lost. Okay, We're talking about sacrifice. Sacrifice implies loss. On the other hand, obedience implies giving. And I want us to understand that contrast. Merriam-Webster, again, obedience is being submissive to the restraint or command of authority, being willing to obey. Willing to obey. Right? It's a good thing. Obedience does not imply loss. It implies, I'm under authority. I'll, I'll do what you say. And that's my position, and your position is the position of authority. Sacrifice, again, speaks to loss. And God says that obedience is better than sacrifice. And even in the situations where Saul says, we were going to sacrifice those rams to you. We were going to go to the altar. We were going to prepare it all. We were going to do it the right way, the way you command. And God says, that's not what I wanted. I asked for your obedience. And what I asked was that you slaughter everything. I don't ask for sacrifice. I just desire obedience. And this really shows us what the heart of God was when he does ask for a sacrifice. He, this, asking for a sacrifice is not asking for the sacrifice itself. God doesn't care about the blood of goats and bulls and rams and all that. He cares about the obedience of our hearts, the motives of our hearts. Why does God care about our actions? Because he cares about the motives of our hearts. Now I'm going to go through rapid fire of some scriptures, okay? Steve, you ready? Okay. Genesis chapter 4. This one's not, the, the scripture's not up there because it's the whole chapter. God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice and not with Cain's. Why? Cain sacrificed, Abel sacrificed. Cain gave out of the fruits of his labor from, from farming, and Abel gave out of the fruits of his labor from his flock. But Abel's was the best he had, and Cain's was just some of the fruit that he had. God doesn't care that Cain gave fruit. God doesn't care that Abel gave a lamb. But he, what he cares about is that Abel gave his best and that Cain did not. Psalm chapter 40, it, which is also used by the author of Hebrews. So we're going we're gonna to get into the New Testament too, but um, just keep in mind this is also used by the author of Hebrews. It says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. Obeying you is my heart's desire, in other words. You don't desire sacrifices and offerings. You desire obedience that comes from what I believe in my heart. Psalm 51, 15 through 17 Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. What's that mean? A humble heart, a, a heart that is in the right position, a heart that is submissive to authority is what God desires. Not sacrifice, not the blood of bulls and goats, not 
for you to just pay your tithes because the law requires it, because the church says you must, because the Bible says you must, not just to do it because, but because you desire to obey and glorify God with your actions. Proverbs 21.3, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Ecclesiastes 5.1, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. He's not saying don't offer a sacrifice. He's saying listen and don't be a fool who offers a sacrifice for something that they don't even understand they're doing. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to God's convicting of your heart. Listen to his word and understand your position. Our position before God is a position of complete reliance on him and need of him and in need of salvation. It's really just as important that we understand our disobedience as that we understand that God wants us to be obedient. We need to understand where we are in order to fully understand where God wants us to be and where he is bringing us to be. Jeremiah 7, 21 through 26 says to go ahead and add your burnt offerings to the other sacrifices and eat the meat yourselves. <laughs> Exclamation point. God doesn't care. Go eat the meat yourselves. For when I brought your ancestors out of Egypt, I did not just tell them to offer sacrifices, but to obey. And I will be your God and you will be my people. Again, it's about the position. He didn't just tell the Israelites to offer this sacrifice. His greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means obeying him. And we've been learning in other courses um, in uh, Killing Kryptonite, I know we were talking about this, about love for God and love from God equals, is equal to obedience. That's what it means. And that you can't get away from that. Scripture tells us that that's what it means. Obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. That position happens when we submit ourselves to God and obey him. Hosea 6.6, 6, this one's very famous and I was thinking I would preach on this one, but then I saw the Samuel passage and it, it uh, did a lot better explanation uh, of what I wanted to get to. Hosea 6.6, 6, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. The Bible declares over and over and over again. I didn't realize it until I was doing all this research. I didn't know how many times the verse, the Bible says this similar of a phrase. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Micah 6, 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That talks about it. Walk justly. That's walking justly with your neighbors. Walk in mercy. Mercy is not justice. Mercy is beyond justice. Mercy is greater than justice, and it overcomes justice. Walk justly, love mercy, and lastly, our position before God, and walk humbly 
with your God. And then taking it into the New Testament, even Jesus says this multiple times, but here's one instance, Matthew 12, 7. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. And what he's talking about here is when he and his disciples are walking through the grain fields on the Saturday, on the Sabbath, when you're not supposed to do any work, and they're fine, they're just walking through the fields, and his disciples go, oh, that's tasty. And they pick some heads of grain. I don't know how you eat heads of grain, but they did. They picked some heads of grain and they began to eat them. And the Pharisees said, oh, we see that, and that's not in accordance with the law. The law says you can't work on the Sabbath, and that means you can't prepare food, and they're preparing food for themselves by plucking it and eating it. And that's, that's seriously what it was. And they said, your disciples are breaking the Sabbath, Jesus. What do you got to say about that? And he said, if you had known what these words mean, and they should have known, because these are teachers of the law who know all those verses I just read. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. He says these disciples are not doing anything wrong. They're walking with me. That's what God cares about. God cares about the position of our hearts. When the disciples were mad at the woman who poured perfume on Jesus and they said, this could have been used to get, give money to the poor, Jesus said, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And why does that matter? That, that seems like a pretty harsh statement by Jesus if you think about it. But Jesus is saying she was giving and she was doing something for me. And it's not all about making sacrifices for the poor. It's about obeying me. And she was in submission and glorifying Jesus while he was with her. It's about the position of our hearts and the desire of our hearts. So now, you're going through the last scriptures there. And we're going to get to the final why, the bigger why. All right, so we know that God cares about our actions. Because he cares about the motives of our hearts, he cares about the state of our hearts. But why does he care about the state of our hearts? There is a deeper why than that. 1 Samuel 15, 27 through 35. We're going to finish off the chapter here. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel, that's God, does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came to him in chains, and he thought, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel left for Ramah, <clears throat> but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Sad verses, man. It's a sad state. 
But what I want to hit on from this passage here is when Samuel says that he who is the glory of, the Israel, of Israel does not change his mind. He's not a human being that he should change his mind. So I want to talk about that. Change his mind. God does not change his mind. The word, I should have looked at the actual pronunciation, but the word is nacham or something like that, nakam. And what it means, it's a little odd, so let me explain it, right? Is Also, this is the positive side of it, not, not the not part. <laughs> to console, comfort, grieve, mourn, repent, to regret. Um, and so the Lord does not repent, right? The Lord does not regret. The Lord doesn't, he doesn't get upset about a decision he made a while ago. So Saul's or Samuel is saying this in the middle of us reading that God regretted that he had made Saul king of Israel. And that's very confusing to me. And I was very happy. I found this on my own. I was, I was looking doing word searches, and I saw this word, and I realized it was the same word as regret, that God regretted. And I, I'm, I'm thinking, how does this make any sense? And this, this word for regret is the same word used in Genesis 6-6, where... Um, God says he regrets that he made mankind. And this is when he decides to flood the earth. Pretty brutal. And God says, I shouldn't have made mankind. I'm going to start over. Numbers 23, 19. I think I have this one up there. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? So we see that God doesn't change his mind on things, and yet in the, middle of this, in the middle of this, we're reading that God regretted making Saul king of Israel. So what I gather from that is that God does not change his mind when it comes to fulfilling his plan and the promises he has for his people and the promises he has made for his people. What he does do is change his decisions on how he uses us. And it's not because he changes the decision. It's because of our stupidity, our disobedience, our lack of faithfulness, or our lack of usability. These are why God changes his mind. And I think that this is in there for a reason, because Samuel's saying God doesn't, Changes mind, but he is not happy with you as king right now. I think that's the point of it. And he's saying, God's turning this over to somebody else because you should not be king, and God regrets making you king. A God who doesn't change his mind has changed his decision on you being king for now. And I think it's important for us to understand this as well. God doesn't change. His plan, but he changes how he uses us for that plan. Some people are used for his glory, and they never, ever obeyed him in their life. But they're still used for God's glory. The destruction of the Amalekites was supposed to be for God's glory. Now, the Bible also tells us that God does not glory in the death of people or in the destruction of people. And I, that, that's not, he doesn't. But he glories in justice and 
in being who he is, which is a just and a right God. And Israel was supposed to carry that out for him. So I want us to understand, it's not because he does not love us, and God still loves Saul. It's not because he does not love us, but it's because we fail him. That's when God changes his mind. Our inconsistency, I'll be careful with this, but understand me, forces God's hand. Okay, we can't force God's hand. God could continue to use Saul if he wanted to. But it forces God into using a different and a better way. He has a better way. And so God says, I'm using that way. Saul, you are relieved of your position. Now, I do want to talk about here the situation we are in and Pastor Jason having left. This can sound extremely brutal, so hear my heart, okay? Understand what I'm saying. I am comparing him to this position that Saul was in. I'm not comparing him to Saul. But Saul was relieved of his position because he was not fit to continue in what God had planned for the kingdom of Israel. And we all know that God has something planned for this church. And because Bill was addressing this last week, God doesn't regret his decisions. Pastor Jason coming here was not a mistake. And we can rest assured that that is so, because God's plan is always at work. And the Bible tells us that over and over again. Maybe David's next. And it's time for David to come in here. And David was a faithful servant of God. He disobeyed God, too. But he was faithful, and he was the right man for the job. And God was ready for David to step up. And if we continue in 1 Samuel 16.1, the next verse of the next chapter, God tells Samuel, How long are you going to mourn Saul? since I have rejected him as king of Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, for I've selected from him, from his sons, a king for myself, which is David. David was from the root of Jesse, from, from Bethlehem, right? Which is where Jesus came from. And so God says, get up on your feet. <laughs> Fill your flask with oil, which is what he was going to use to anoint him. Right? He's saying, get back to work. Keep going. I still have plans for Israel. I still have plans to use you, Samuel. I still have plans to bring in the next person. And I'm not saying that we... Him mourning Saul shows me Samuel's heart. Samuel, man, the fact that he was mourning someone like Saul and the loss of Saul. And so we mourn Pastor Jason. And that is good and fine. But we cannot stay in the situation we are in and be unwilling to move into the next season. Amen? Amen. All right. And again, the reason I'm addressing these things is because I'm, I'm, I've been here through this time. And I know I haven't been here as long as many of you, but I've been here through this time. And I don't want to have, to have Linderman or this next pastor have to deal with making sure people understand these concepts. I'm in this with you. And I know it is hard sometimes to, to convince my heart to do the right thing and to be ready for the next season and to quit stewing over things of the past. And that's what happens in our lives all the time. It's not just this. But in this season, it is time that we 
prepare ourselves. I want this to be the easiest introduction for a new pastor to any church ever. And we can do that. It's not that we, there's no reason we can't do that. Size of the church matters not. What matters is, is who we are, the, the position of our hearts, and the position of our hearts before God. So let's be prepared for this new season and the coming of a new pastor whom God has chosen. God chose David right now. David did not become king right now. This is before David had even uh, defeated Goliath. He's a young boy at this point. I hope our new pastor is not a young boy at this point. But, <laughs> but God may have called him when he was a young boy and chosen him for glad tidings. So we need to trust in that and trust in God's plan. We cannot rely on our own devices like Saul and think we're doing the right thing and deceive ourselves. But trust in the Lord and trust in his plans. Alrighty, I want to get to our close in Ezekiel chapter 18. Again, another lengthy passage, but this passage speaks to everybody here. Believers, non-believers, okay? Churchgoers, non-churchgoers. This speaks to everybody. Ezekiel 18, 21 through 32. But if a wicked person turns away from all the sins they have committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, that person will surely live. They will not die. None of the offenses they have committed will be remembered against them uh, because of the righteous things they have done. They will live. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? But if a righteous person turns from their righteousness and commits sin, and does the same detestable things the wicked person does, will they live? None of the righteous things that person has done will be remembered. Because of the unfaithfulness uh, they are guilty of, and because of the sins they have committed, they will die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. And this is, this is what we're talking about here with Saul. The way of the Lord is not just. Uh, hear you, Israelites, is my way unjust? Is it not your ways that are unjust? If a righteous person turns from their righteousness and commits sin, they will die for it. Because of the sin they have committed, they will die. I'm talking to those of you who are believers. But if a wicked person turns away from the wickedness they have committed and does what is just and right, they will save their life. Because they consider all the offenses they have committed and t turn away from them. That person will surely live. They will not die. Yet the Israelites say, the way of the Lord is not just. Are my ways unjust, people of Israel? Is it not your ways that are unjust? Therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent. Turn away from all your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. That's what we're talking about. The righteous person must continue in righteousness. The unrighteous person must start in righteousness. 
and continue in it as well. This is why Jesus doesn't condemn the woman caught in adultery, but says, go and sin no more. It's not justice in our hearts. And it wasn't justice in those Pharisees' hearts who were trying to condemn her. But God is just. God knows what he's doing. And we can trust in him. God's concern for the postures of our hearts is what allows grace to take place. If he didn't care about our hearts, then our actions would be what would condemn us, and we would be done. (laughs) Because we've all committed a wrong action. But our actions are not what condemn us alone. Our actions display what is in our hearts. God allows everybody that chance for redemption, as we read in that passage. That's an Old Testament passage. Come on. Jesus loves to give grace to his people. The Lord loves to give good gifts to his people. And God has a lot in store for glad tidings. All he requires is that we trust in him. That we believe that he has this next season in his hands. If we throw back a couple weeks ago, he's already there. He already sees us there. He sees the future. He sees the blessings. He sees our hearts. So continue in righteousness and live. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray.